Welcome to Coastal Voices, an audio documentary series that explores the relationship between people, land, and water in coastal Louisiana. I'm Mike Pasquet, Associate Professor of Religious Studies and History at Louisiana State University. With support from the Whiting Foundation and LSU's Coastal Sustainability Studio, Coastal Voices will take you on a journey down the lower Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico, where Louisiana has lost over 1,800 square miles of land over the past 80 years. That's an area roughly the size of Rhode Island. Scientists expect a comparable level of land loss in the next 50 years if coastal protection and restoration don't become a priority. Coastal Voices will introduce you to the perspectives of those who call the coast home with an eye toward the historical and cultural impact of environmental changes to this endangered landscape. It's about telling stories and listening to the stories of people who have an intimate knowledge of Louisiana's waterways and lifeways. Part one of our story begins in Morganza, Louisiana, a small Cajun town on the banks of the Mississippi River, about 50 miles north of Baton Rouge by car, and about 75 miles from the Gulf as the crow flies. If you look at Morganza on a map, it's not exactly a place that you describe as a coastal community. But Morganza's position at a critical juncture between the Mississippi River, Atchafalaya River, Red River, and Old River make it key to understanding why Louisiana is losing so much land. Most Louisianans have never been to Morganza, much less those who live outside the state. But if you've seen the 1969 film Easy Rider, then you've seen at least a bit of Morganza. The scene is set outside a now-abandoned cafe, where Wyatt, played by Peter Fonda, Billy, Dennis Hopper's character, and George, played by Jack Nicholson, flirt with a group of teenage girls as the local deputy and a few townspeople watch with scorn. Fast forward to 1989, when the writer John McVie profiled Morganza and the surrounding area in his book, The Control of Nature. It's one of McVie's most famous and widely read books of creative nonfiction. In it, the Princeton professor describes, as only he can, how the Army Corps is hell-bent on preventing the Mississippi River from changing its course down the Atchafalaya River, the consequences of which would be disastrous to the nation's economy. McPhee writes, In addition to all the things the Corps actually does and does not do, there are infinite actions it is imagined to do, infinite actions it is imagined not to do, and infinite actions it is imagined to be capable of doing, because the Corps has been conceded the almighty role of God. The public persona of the Corps is indeed godlike. Its task, as set by Congress, is to control nature, plain and simple. The Corps' current motto, Build Strong, is a testament to this resolve. But its earlier motto, dating back to the American Revolution, is a tad more modest. It's a French word, essayant, meaning, let us try. What follows is a series of conversations with civilian employees of the Corps, men who are tasked with trying to control the Mississippi, men who have an intimate knowledge of the Mississippi, men whose lives, in a strange way, have been controlled by the Mississippi. But first, I want to introduce you to Brian Costello, 
historian and genealogist of the Point Coupee Parish Historic Materials Collection in New Roads, Louisiana, just up the river from Baton Rouge. His most recent book is Carnival in Louisiana, Celebrating Mardi Gras from the French Quarter to the Red River, published by LSU Press. If you ask anyone in Point Coupee to tell you who knows the region's history best, if you ask anyone in the Corps, there's only one name you'll hear, Brian Costello. Um, my family has been in Point Coupee Parish uh, since 1720, so um, history kind of came natural to me learning it orally, uh, you know, through my grandparents um, and their elderly generation, and then as I got older, scholarly research. Point Coupee is here because of the Mississippi River and its distributary streams, um, the fertility of the soil, uh, is due to the alluvium deposited by the Mississippi. So that's made Point Coupee uh, a very uh, diverse uh, agricultural community. There are eight major crops grown here. Um, historically, it was the northernmost point where sugarcane was produced and the southernmost point where cotton was produced. Um, that's the positive side. The negative side is that more than 40% of the nation's drainage funnels to a point right at Morganza. Um, in central Point Coupee on the Mississippi River, meaning that those annual spring rises of the river puts a great amount of pressure right there at Morganza. Um, of course, our most devastating flood was 1912 when the levee broke at Taurus in the extreme northeastern part of the parish. There were at least uh, 42 deaths by drowning. In that instance, we'll never know the exact number. Um, the parish's population was about 26,000 then, 17,000 were made homeless, 12,000 evacuated, many never came back. Our population today is less than it was then. Uh, the last levee failure to affect Point Capee was 1927 at McCray, the east bank of the Atchafalaya. It was the last levee failure of the Great Flood of 1927. And um, aerial reconnaissance uh, prompted officials to fear that the Mississippi was attempting to change its channel into the Atchafalaya. This is where the Army Corps stepped in. Actually, the Corps had been around for decades. You can read John Barry's book, Rising Tide, about the flood of 1927 and learn a whole lot more. But after the big flood, Congress passed the Flood Control Acts of 1928 and 1936, which made it the federal government's responsibility to prevent the Mississippi River from flooding and to ensure that its waters would remain navigable for shipping. Here's Mr. Costello again. We always say we're here because of the Corps of Engineers. It's because of the government's continued interest in us as a community and the, uh, the, the physical and the financial outlay um, that they put into maintaining the levee system and the control structure and the floodways that we continue to exist. You know, back in the 1880s, uh, there was a lot of uh, talk that the levee system should just be abandoned. They said Morganza, you know, is foolhardy to try to keep it open. Let it stay open and let that water go all the way down to the Gulf. Well, that would have devastated 11 parishes permanently. Which is why the Corps built a network of structures after the 27 flood to ensure that the Mississippi River kept its course to the Gulf of Mexico and didn't shift its primary flow down the Atchafalaya River. 
Mr. Joe Harvey is the natural resource specialist at the Old River Control Complex. Standing on top of the Old River Auxiliary Control Structure, overlooking the Mississippi River, he explained to me why so much was invested in controlling the river at this critical point. Well, the Flood Control Act of 1954 um, mandated that the Corps of Engineers build a structure uh, in this area uh, of, of lower uh, Concordia Parish that would um, divert 30% um, of the Red and the Mississippi River down the Atchafalaya River and 70% down the Mississippi River. That is what the Corps of Engineers found in 1950 was the division uh, between the... <laughs> without, without the structures that the Corps built, um, by this point, uh, you would have more water going down the Atchafalaya than you would going down the, um, the Mississippi River. The Old River Control Complex is about 30 minutes north of Morganza. In addition to an intricate tapestry of levees along and between the Mississippi and Atchafalaya rivers, the complex includes three main structures. The first is what's called the low silt control structure. When that structure almost failed in 1973, the Corps built a second auxiliary structure nearby. And the third is a lock that allows for boat traffic to move between the Mississippi and the Chafalaya via Old River. Every day, the men who work at the Old River Control Complex coordinate with a nearby hydro plant to maintain the 70-30 flow rate down the Mississippi and Chafalaya by opening and closing gates in the structures. Down in Morganza, there's what's called the Morganza Control Structure and Spillway. Construction was completed in 1954. The structure is a concrete weir that's over 4,000 feet long with 125 gates that can be opened to release up to 600,000 cubic feet per second of water away from the Mississippi and into the Atchafalaya Basin and all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. It's kind of like a safety valve for the Corps to open only in the extreme event that the old river control structures and other spillways can't keep the Mississippi from overtopping its levees, or worse, create a crevasse or a break in the levees. Mr. Russell Bove started working for the Corps in 1982, right out of high school. For the last 10 years, he's been the operations manager of the Old River Control Project. This is Mr. Bove. Old River and Marganza control structure is pretty much the um, so most southernest point that you can divert anything to the Chafalaya River. Right. If you don't control it at that point, it's going to go down the rest of the way uncontrolled. There's nothing to stop it or whatever. Mm -hmm. The Old River Control Complex is one of the most critical structures in the entire Corps Engineers because the, the, the floodway that passes through here encompasses 74% uh, of the land area of the United States and all of it has to pass by the control structure. Everything funnels down and that's the bottom of the funnel. Right. Once it gets out that bottom, there's no more control in it. Things worked pretty well until 1973 when the Corps almost lost the low silt control structure during a period of record high water. 1973 was the first time the Corps had to open the Morganza spillway in order to reduce pressure on the low sill structure. Had they lost the structure, they would have lost the river. Mr. Gustin is a Morganza native. 
His dad and his uncle both worked for the Corps, and then he started working for the Corps in 1962. He was there in 1973, and he was one of the guys who operated the crane that opened the gates of the Morganza control structure. We, we survived in, in 73, but it was quite an ordeal because it wasn't nobody knew what was going on. It was the first time, Virgin opening. The flood fight box. Now, incidentally, the flood fight box was a big wooden chest. Looked like a cedar chest, but it wasn't made out of cedar. It was made out of plywood. Each outfit had a box. These boxes were kept in New Orleans, and they were issued every time flood season came around. Well, water slapped up against the gates. We never had to use Water went back down. But here comes 73, and that was a different animal because you had about half of the tributaries up the Mississippi feeding in. You've got the upper Mississippi, the Missouri, the Ohio, the Arkansas, the Red River, and they're all contributing. Uh, that's 100-year flood. Mr. Gustin is proud of the fact that he and his buddies in the Corps managed to avoid catastrophe in 1973 when the wing wall of the low sill structure almost caved in. He's also proud of the fact that he was the guy opening the gates at the Morganza control structure that year. Another man there in 1973 was Mr. Tapper Bove, the father of Russell Bove, who you met earlier. He likes to tell a story about the aftermath of the 1973 incident. Uh, after the 73 flood, they had a professor from LSU, old man. They had, they, I seen him on television. He said on, there was an old cottonwood log in front of structure on the north bank. And he sat on there, and I heard him make the statement that the Mississippi River would would eventually change its course. And I told my wife, I said, he don't know what he's talking about. It wasn't until 2011 that the Morganza floodway would be opened again. In March of that year, as water levels reached critical stages throughout the Mississippi Valley, the Corps initiated what Mr. Gustin has already told us about. They started the flood fight. In April... Farmers and fishers in the Atchafalaya Basin were notified that they might be evacuated if extreme control measures became necessary. The Corps began the controlled inundation of floodways along the river. On May 2nd, the Corps detonated a levee downstream of Cairo, Illinois, submerging a wide swath of southeast Missouri known as the Birds Point New Madrid floodway. On May 9th, as 1.25 million cubic feet per second of water flowed past New Orleans, it opened the first of 330 bays at the Bonnie Carey Spillway, diverting water away from the Crescent City and into Lake Pontchartrain. The Corps opened 17 bays of the Morganza control structure. Here's Mr. Russell Bovey again. That was, that was a record flood for this area. Well, that was the first time that the Morganza control structure has ever been operated for its intended purpose. And the trigger point for opening Morganza is 1.5 million cubic feet per second, passing down the Mississippi River and predicted to continue to rise. At that point, the Mississippi River Commission, which includes commissioners and the uh, chief of, of the uh, Mississippi Valley Division, uh, they gotta make the decision of 
if we're going to operate the structure or not. And I, we did reach that point. I didn't even buy any flood insurance or whatever for the 2000. I've never bought flood insurance. I don't have flood insurance right. till this day. Uh, when the uh, general come out and we was going open the structure, we was on the structure and all the guys that were getting on the cranes and we were about to open it. He asked me same question: Is the structure going to open? I said yes, sir. He said the crane's going to work. I said yes, sir. You can go run the controls if you want to. And uh, he said no. He didn't want to take that away from the uh, guys because yeah. you know this is really a almost a once in a lifetime yeah. event and didn't want to take that opportunity to it. But anybody could have went up there, pulled it on that control, and it would open. And that's exactly what happened. And everything worked the way it was supposed to. The gates, we were able to open, close them, do any kind of flip-flopping of flows between the gates, and we never had any issues come up. Mr. Scott Lartigue is a fourth-generation employee of the Corps of Engineers. His father ran survey boats for the Corps. His grandfather was the first supervisor of the low sill structure at Old River, and his great-grandfather was a crane operator. Mr. Lartigue has been around the Mississippi his whole life, and he was one of the guys that operated the crane that opened the Morganza control structure. 2011, we was flood fighting constantly, seven days a week, and then when the word came through for the Morganza spillway, we was opening and closing the gates. On a, I think it was a six-man crew they put out on the bridge first, and we was the first ones there. And it was a big deal then because me and my brother was working with me then. And he works for Vicksburg now. And we was the first ones that opened since our grandfather did in 73. That was the last time, you know. So it was a, they, it had made news in New Orleans and all that, I think. But I didn't get to see any of it, you know. But they wanted to have a lot of reports and all that. It was, it was neat to do, but it was scary, I will tell you. But other than that, we was flood fighting from 6 o'clock in the morning till sometimes 10, 11 o'clock at night. It, you turn into somebody where the hours doesn't matter, the days run into each other, and sandbags, and uh, track holes, hauling dirt, fixing low spots, uh, having cranes ready for emergency use, opening and closing gates to try to maintain 70, 30, and waiting for the worst to happen, I guess you could say, a levee breaking or something like that. Always stay prepared. I guess that's how it would kind of boil down to. Stay on ready, set, go. <laughs> then it was time to start opening the gates. News cameras rolling, generals watching, families waiting. Everybody, they sent just us out there, you know, because it was the biggest talk about it was going to collapse or fall. It would vibrate constantly. I mean, each gate would just just flex back and forth. And being on it, looking down and seeing that much water finally break through, you know, it, the whole thing just would shake. The cables would ride. When you would, when the gates cracked the first few inches, there was so much pressure blowing you couldn't even talk to each other. You know, you had to holler over the, the roar of the water. But the pressure is unreal. Unreal. I mean, just just to see it and hear it and feel it in your feet, your boots would just would just shake, you tickle all the time. <laughs> in 2011, the Mississippi flooded as it was designed. Water went where the Corps wanted it to go. 
That's why it's called the Design Flood. The Corps declared victory, and within weeks, life along the Mississippi returned to business as usual. The violent waters turned peaceful again, and we went back to forgetting the Mississippi. If anyone knows the Mississippi, it's guys like Scott Lartigue, men who were second, third, even fourth generation Army Corps workers. I asked Mr. Lartigue. Based on your experience, how would you, how do you define the Mississippi River? Hmm. <laughs> it's just a, an amazing body of water that flows constantly and brings life to people from the beginning to the end. It's, you know, brings life to everything. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how, how really to put it into words. It's just, other than to go out there and actually see and look and, and gaze on it, you know? It can go from so calm to a disaster in no time, but it's it's amazing body of water that never quits flowing. You never see the same water twice. It's always gone. <laughs> always. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's... It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> That beauty and that destruction led Mr. Lartigue to build his house in a particular way. You said you, your house is raised. Right now, right. yeah. How high? Eight foot. Why did you raise it? Because I had built it on a, real, on a bayou bank, and even though I was built up to elevation, it's always that never knowing if a levee's gonna ever break. And I'm three foot above the highway, so if anything ever happens, I know I'll still have a place to live. You know what I mean? It's, you never know what the future will bring. And if I ever had a chance, I said then, that I can build one up, I will. And I did. A two-story, eight feet off the ground, so if it does hit the bottom floor, I still have another floor. <laughs> <laughs> and a generator and everything is above ground, so it's pretty much prepared because I have seen it a lot of devastation from the river. And it doesn't take long. <laughs> I want to introduce you to one more person. My name is Gabe McFarland. I live in Mount Hermon, Louisiana. Uh, been working for the Corps for 16 years. I asked him a question that only a dumb professor from Baton Rouge would ask a mechanic for the Corps. What? How would you, if you're standing on a levee looking at the Mississippi, how do you describe the Mississippi? I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I guess unpredictable is, is one way. It can be pretty violent, you know, here. When you open these gates here, it's it's a violent thing, but normally you look out there and you just see tugboats and 
people fishing or people making a living on it, you know. And that's all it's really ever been to me is the way that I make my living. I, I don't give it a whole lot of thought either way. I guess I'm just not that deep. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's kind of hard. It's a hard question to answer because I, I just don't. You know, the only things that make me feel something are back home. You know. I mean, I don't really get into nostalgic too much. I guess that's the best way to describe me. Is I'm not very. I'm not very nostalgic. I go do what I got to do, and then go back to my family and. That's the part I worry about. I don't worry about a lot of the rest of it. But then after talking for a while, Mr. McFarland had this to say about the river. The river has changed. I mean, I, anything's possible. I think anything's possible when you look at our stretch of time is just a speck when you think about time. We, we don't really matter at all. I mean, I can get deep on you because, I, I mean, that's... If you look at how many million years the river's been flowing through here, wow, I've been here 47 of it. I ain't done nothing, you know. <laughs> Just do my part in that 47 year span, but I mean, yeah, it could, there's a lot of things could happen, you know. I'm going to give the last word to my friend, Mr. Costello. I think it's it's so tragic that people don't have a knowledge of of hydrology, geology, where where they live, or um, an appreciation for history to see what their ancestors, uh, you know, whether blood or 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 earlier generations in the community went through, you know, uh, so many years, so many times uh, in the past, and continue to do so in other flood prone areas. You know, this is a beautiful country, it's a fertile country, but it was basically built within the delta of a great river, and we forget about the coastal concept. I mean, we're, we're a fringe of the coast. You know, there's loss of coastlands, um, I think largely because of what we do with the river. And um, on the other hand, the river's always that threat. Thank you for listening to Coastal Voices. Special thanks to the Army Corps of Engineers for allowing me to spend time with the men and women who work night and day at the Old River Control Complex. Thank you to my outstanding students, Josh Jackson, who did the editing for this podcast, Taylor Goss, who made the music and sounds that you hear, and Madeline Smith, research assistant and video producer. Visit the Coastal Voices website, where you can watch Madeline's interviews with residents of Point Coupee Parish, look at photographs and documents of human efforts to control the Mississippi, and see some maps made by another LSU student, Delaney McGinnis, which will help you notice the incredible intersection of people, land, and water. And thank you to the LSU Graphic Design Student Organization, and especially LSU student Nicole Dow and director Courtney Barr for designing the Coastal Voices website. Please go to the website, where there are ways for you to share your own story, your own experience, your own relationship, to Louisiana's landscape. I hope you'll listen to our next podcast. There are more stories to tell. <laughs>